0: What a blessing uh, those final words are to us today um, to know of the great God whose ways are unsearchable, inscrutable, the depth, depths and riches of His grace is really unfathomable for us. I am humbled by the thought of the goodness of God every day in my life. And sometimes I not it doesn't have the effect on me nearly that it should, but I like to think, I would like to think that the vast majority of, uh, of my life I am spending some time, some moment remembering or in awe of all that God has done for us and also all that He is willing to do through us so glad that you are here today. I'm so glad that we are able, as a, as a sweet gift of God and a measure of His grace, to open the Word together, to read from His Word, to study it. And I'm so thankful for the faithfulness of God that through the power of the Holy Spirit He gives us understanding of His Word. That we are not left, um, for the most part, each week we are not left wondering what God was trying to say to us. He reveals His... Uh, wisdom and his insight to us. He pours it out to us from his riches, according to his riches. I'm so thankful for that. Today, we're going to um, be in like, I think, the sixth sermon on Romans 11 and asking the question, has God rejected his people? Uh, It works out for me. I believe normally on Easter Sunday, we and during Advent, we Switch gears a little bit, but I think that um, 33 through 36 of Romans chapter 11 is an appropriate uh, Resurrection Sunday sermon. So I'm just going to continue in Romans next week uh, with a resurrection lean. So, but today we're going to be in Romans chapter 11, verses 28 through 32 is what I'm going to focus on today. Uh, we are in our sixth sermon. Answering the question, has God rejected his people? Today is Palm Sunday and it's the beginning of the Passion Week. Uh, next week we will, uh, next week, next Sunday we will observe and um, remember the death, burial and resurrection of Jesus. Uh, I pray um, this week for you, this holy week, uh, you put as much emphasis this week or more on. Uh, than you do during the Advent season. As a matter of fact, we are not necessarily commanded to celebrate the birth of Jesus in the same way as we are commanded to celebrate the death of Jesus. So in a way, Advent week should, and the anticipation and the lead up to Resurrection Sunday should be even more spiritual and more fruitful for a believer than Uh, even the days leading up to the first Advent, the celebration of Christmas. So I pray and I hope that you spend time reflecting through personal study, through prayer, and just general reflection of the goodness of the gospel and the goodness that God has done through Christ Himself. Uh, I hope by now that you can see as fully as we possibly can that God has been faithful to His covenant and to His covenant people. We have seen this in so many different ways. And and if you aren't convinced uh, by the way God has demonstrated Himself, I pray today that you would be convinced by the character of God Himself. Last week we saw how Israel's history and how God's goodness and His way of salvation demonstrate both His kindness and His severity. How they go hand in hand. How they cannot be separated from one another. How God in His kindness and in His mercy and in His love pours out salvation to His children. How He keeps them. And how He keeps His covenant promise from generation to generation to generation. But how God in His severity must punish sin. And if we do not repent and believe the Gospel and live by faith... He will punish our sin by the wrath of God. But if we repent of our sin, if we believe the gospel, if we trust Him, He has punished our sin fully through the person and work of Jesus Christ. Kindness and severity go hand in hand. They cannot be separated. In God's kindness, He gives us general grace and mercy every day. In His severity, he punishes, us, he punishes sin. He also sends us through trials that strengthen us, that it cause us to endure and be more like His Son. We saw how He showed that specifically through Israel's history, through His goodness over time, and through His way of salvation, His steps of salvation. Israel and really any of God's covenant people are a demonstration then of the goodness of God. And how He both loves and disciplines His people. And those are inseparable. Now to this point, we have mostly used things that God has done to or for His people. As proof that He keeps His covenant with His nation. But today, I want us to go a little bit further and see that God, God's covenant keeping is most directly related to God being true to Himself than anything else. God's covenant keeping with His people is mostly related to God being unable to deny His character, being unable to deny Himself. And if God chooses to preserve or persevere, excuse me, with the people, or to preserve a people, it is more about God Himself than it is about just the things that God can give. We find this truth about God's unchanging character in Romans 8, Romans eleven, twenty eight 28 through 32, specifically today, but really in all of the gospels, in all of the Bible. Today I hope that your minds and hearts are open to the message that God has through his word about the immutable, the unchanging, perfect character of God. Would you pray with me this morning? Lord, that you would allow us to experience, to know on a real spiritual level, the goodness of the gospel, and that is Christ himself, that as we experience that grace and mercy, we would then pour out that grace and mercy to others it would, it would be demonstrated in the way we forgive others, in the way we show kindness to people who do not deserve it, in the, in the way we walk in faith with our wives, with our husbands, with our children, with our church family. That we would demonstrate this love that You've given us. Lord, I believe the only way we demonstrate that is if we've known it on a personal level as it comes down directly from You through the Holy Spirit. Help us, Lord, to be a demonstration of this great love. That we would pass on this love from generation to generation to generation. That the world may know that you live, you are alive, you are the son of God and you are exactly who you say that you are. Teach us today from your word. Help it to radically change us every morning. For your mercies are new every day. We pray and ask these things in the name of Jesus and for his sake. Amen. Has God rejected his people? The sixth answer to that question over Romans chapter 11 would be no. God keeps his covenant because of his unchanging character. Has God rejected his people? No. God keeps his covenant to his people because of his. His unchanging character. More than the measure of kindness, more than grace, more than mercy, or more than love that God shows His people is His desire to be true to His character. And therefore, love and grace and mercy and kindness all are a result of God being true to Himself. If there is any restriction on the Lord Himself... It would be the restrictions of being true to His character. It would be how He is bound to His character. So kindness and grace and mercy and love or any other kindness or any other severity to us comes straight from God's nature and from who He is. Ultimately, that is why we know that God still has a plan for His covenant nation. Because he is true to his character and he is unchanging. The theological term for that, we've talked about this before, but some of you are new, so you'll get maybe a new lesson or a reminder. The theological term for God's unchanging nature is called immutability. Immutability. God is immutable. He is never changing. The God of the Bible is the same yesterday, and today, and tomorrow. He affects creation, but creation does not affect Him. He is not affected by creation. Now there are Bible verses that we see that show God repenting or changing His mind. And matter of fact, early on in Genesis 6, the Lord said He regretted what He did. Now, here's what I want you to know about that. There are verses that show God repenting or changing His mind, it seems. Here's what those verses are for. Those verses are explanations of God's actions placed into the terms that moral man can understand and follow. Okay? When it says that the Lord repented, it doesn't mean that the Lord changed His mind about something He was going to do. The Lord, before the foundations were set, had a plan, and He sovereignly and providentially sees that plan through. But he words things in Scripture. The authors of those texts worded things so that we could understand, so that we could comprehend. For as many verses that seem like God has changed his mind, which are only a few, there are more verses uh, in the context of of their verse that show that God is uh, unchanging. He does not act in time, but... Or in the same way that mortal man does, but he is able to do so because he is good to us, because he is eternal, uh, and because he operates, uh, he humbles himself to operate in a way that we can understand. He is outside of all history, but because of his goodness, he deals with mankind on a real timeline. The Bible says he is. He has eternally existed. God Himself said before Abraham was, I am, denoting His existence. Not created, but Creator. James 1.17 says, Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow, do to change. Malachi 3.6 says, For I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore you, O children of Jacob, are not consumed. Spoiler alert, Malachi 3.6 was the Lord explaining or was was basically probably what Paul got the idea from Romans 11 from. Uh, Malachi 3.6 says, God doesn't change. Lucky you, Israel, because He doesn't change. You are still uh, you still have an opportunity for salvation. You are still god 's people. He still suffers long with you. Herman Bavanik uh, he wrote a systematic theology book called Reform Dogmatics, And he said this about the immutability of God. If God were not immutable, immutable he would not be God. As, uh, as the God who is, he cannot change for any kind of change would diminish his being all that changes ceases to be what it was but true beings belong to excuse me but true being belongs to him who does not change further he states those who predicate any change whatsoever of god whether with respect to his essence knowledge or will diminish all his attributes independence simplicity Eternity, omniscience and omnipotence this robs God of his divine nature and religion of its firm foundation and assured comfort we can be sure of God we can be sure of truth because its source is the unchanging fountain of God we can be sure of The gospel. We can be sure of the Bible because the source of the gospel, the source of the Bible is immutable. We have a firm foundation not just because of all the good things God has done, but because of who God is. His unchanging nature guarantees that He has the power and the ability to be God. He is. That he can be trusted as God. He is and will always and always will be. And that what he says and prescribes for us will transcend generation after generation. It will transcend culture shifts. It will transcend the changes of this world. That is the difference between creator and creature. For the creator, nothing Changes in the way that He exists and operates. For the creature, so much changes. And our only constancy is found in the immutable Creator, God. So if we examine God's immutability and all that we know about His character, we then get the most convincing evidence for what Paul has tried to to answer for us in all of Romans 11. Has God rejected His people? No. No. He is true to Himself. And He cannot reject His people. Just like we see in Malachi. You better be happy that God doesn't change. Because it would mean bad things for you. It would mean the end. Has God rejected His people? No. He must be true to Himself. I have three little defining terms. Three little ideas that I want you to see under this. Under God being true to Himself. I'm going to point out three characteristics of God that overly confirm that He has not rejected His people. The first, and we've already mentioned it a little bit, God is immutable. Therefore, His covenant endures. God is immutable. Therefore, His covenant endures. He is unchanging. Look at verse 28. As regards the Gospel, they are enemies for your sake. But as regards election, they are beloved for the sake of their forefathers. For the gifts of and the calling of God are irrevocable. The gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. God does not and will not withdraw his covenant uh, from his people. We have seen this in Romans 9 through 11. We have seen this in Romans 1 through 8. And we will see it in all of the Gospels. We will see it in all of the letters. And we really see it all throughout the thread of history that God's covenant and gifts are irrevocable. Because God's covenants and gifts are not dependent on man. They are not dependent on the changing times. As a matter of fact, God promised before the foundation of the world his covenants and gifts before man could sin. Right? So they are not dependent on man's actions or man's will. As a matter of fact, God's covenants are predicated on the idea that man is his enemy. And yet he still gave his covenant and his gifts to mankind. It is because of his nature, his immutable characteristic, that his covenant and his will and his gifts are irrevocable. Paul says in verse 28 of the Jews, they are enemies for your sake. Sin does not surprise God. Israel's rejection did not surprise God's. Israel's rejection was used by God as a means of opening salvation up to the world. Had Israel not rejected God heart and heart for a moment, then salvation would not be opened up to us. Paul says, for your sake, they rejected the gospel. For your sake, they have rejected this covenant. God only died for one type of person, and that is his enemy. He died for his enemies, knowing that sin would enter the world, knowing that we would be wretched from the beginning, like David said, to the end, knowing that we would if we were going to be saved, it would be because of an absolute dependence on the work of God himself. He only dies for one type of person, and that is his enemies. And that is our position before God, before we are saved. Now, we are in Christ. We are a new creation. The old has passed away. The new has come. Our hearts, our lives, our minds are redeemed so we can walk more like him. But the position we all stood in before we were saved was an enemy of God. But in in the immutability of God, He is still gracious and mighty to save. And He will redeem from the enemy camp all those elect that He has set before the foundation of the world. But it's not just because He has love. It's not just because He is full of mercy. It is because love and mercy are so ingrained and rich in Him. And He must be true to His character. God is about His glory. And He must be true to Himself to receive glory. Ultimately, we are saved because God cares about His character. God cares about His character. About his nature. And he sticks to it. He demonstrates his love to us. Because his nature is love. He demonstrates his mercy to us. Because his nature is mercy. We receive these things. Because God cannot deny himself. And all this truth. Will never change. The second part of verse 28. Paul is repeating what we looked at. In verses 22-27. through The Lord sees His people as beloved because of election and because of His covenant. And since the Lord is faithful to Himself and unchanging, He is going to keep His covenant with His people. And it appears, like we tried to discuss in Romans eleven twenty two through 27 that there will be a future salvation for His people because the gifts and the covenant of God are irrevocable. This is why Israel remains Beloved. And I think this is why there will be some sort of future salvation that I hope I did a good job of describing to you as well as I know. Because the gifts and the calling are irrevocable. And God is unchanging. And coupled those two ideas together, God must have a plan. I think this is where Paul gets Romans 11. Paul must have a plan for his people, his chosen nation. The gifts here that we see are all of the blessings poured out on the nation of Israel. All of the things leading up to Christ and then Christ Himself. Remember, the the sacrifices, the revelation of God, the Word of God, the prophets, these were all gifts to the nation of Israel. Christ Himself was a gift to God's covenant people, to the nation of Israel. Those gifts are irrevocable. He has blessed them with an exposure to the truth. He has blessed them with the with the um, the blessing of his presence. And he has ultimately blessed them with the blessing of Christ. And even though most rejected Christ, he is still a gift to the nation of Israel because of their rejection, though, it has been open to us as a gift. Also, the gifts of of God are irrevocable the calling of God is irrevocable this is the spiritual calling of God that opens the hearts and minds unto salvation this is God's calling first to the chosen nation to be a nation of his people but it is a calling more specifically and more importantly to all those who live by faith and are redeemed his promise to the covenant people will not cease Because His calling comes from His very nature, and He is true to Himself. So I believe there is an important plan for the nation of Israel still. I believe there is a day of salvation for many. As His elect children, we are in covenant with Him. And because of His immutable nature, He will not break His covenant. His covenant is irrevocable, the Bible says. Paul says it's irrevocable. That means unalterable, immutable, unbreakable. The first and probably most important part of God's nature that promises, that He promises to us that He will be true to Himself. And He is unchanging. So we can trust Him. We can follow Him. We can learn from him. And when we, when we lose our way, we can go back to him because we know that all truth resides in him. He is immutable. That is one of his characteristics that allows us to know that he has not forgotten his chosen people. He is love. God is love. Therefore, mercy endures. Look at verse 30. For just as you were at one time disobedient to God, but now have received mercy because of their obedience, so they too have now been disobedient in order that by the mercy shown to you, they may now receive mercy. God has a plan for mercy for the elect Gentile, but he also has a plan for mercy for the elect Jew. I think verse thirty and th- verses 30 and 31 simply stated would be, would say this, the disobedience of Israel led to the salvation of the Gentiles. And now the obedience of the Gentiles will one day, and presently is probably, uh, most assuredly, is leading to the salvation of the Jews. This goes back to what we previously saw in Romans 11. The Gentiles coming to faith to stir up jealousy um, amongst the Jews to where there will be a day of repentance. That's the direct meaning of this text. But more can be taken from it. What we see is that Jew and Gentile, therefore every person at one time was disobedient to the Gospel. The word disobedient here, to be more specific, means unpersuadable. It's like the hardened soil. But because of God's loving character, His sovereign will, and His mercy, He broke the heart of stone. He replaced it with a heart of flesh. Because of His loving character, His sovereign will, and His mercy, He broke the hardened ground and He planted the seed of faith. He planted the seed of faith of the Gospel. Because He is rich in love and mercy and He is true to Himself, He is still doing that today and I think there is a place for His chosen nation in that story in the future. He has broken the hardened soil and planted the seed of faith. Friends, you need to hear this. Salvation is overtly and completely a spiritual act. It is a spiritual act. We have a heart of stone spiritually. We are the hardened soil spiritually. If there is any repentance, if there is any following of the Lord, it will be because the Lord, who is Spirit, has wrecked us, has broken the hardened ground has chiseled away at the heart of stone. And He has spiritually changed us. This is why you often you see many people who start out strong for the Lord, they follow Him for a time, and they go away. Because in their own power and in their own will, they attempt to save themselves. They attempt to reach Sanctification on their own power and their own ability. But salvation is a spiritual act. The reason we know for sure that the saints of God will persevere until the end is because the Spirit of God resides in them and He will cause them to endure. God, in His infinite love, His tender mercy, and His sweet compassion, has poured out the gospel upon his elect and he has had a plan all along to make his enemies his friend to make his enemies his friends and he did that by giving up his only son friends what more could he do to prove that his love and his mercy and his grace are a part of his holy character than to give up his son for his enemies. There is only one type of person that Christ died for, and that is his enemy. Broken, sinful man. But he did it. In his mercy, in his loving kindness, he gave up his own son. What more? can He do to prove that He loves us and He cares for us and that a relationship with Him is worth it. For all of His elect then, grace has triumphed over His judgment and His great mercy has saved us and will save many of His covenant people. First Peter 1 Peter 1:3 says, "Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus from the dead." He has caused us, he has acted upon us in salvation to be born again. He has raised a dead man to life. <coughs> Excuse me. He has broken the hardened Heart. He has broken the hardened soil. He has caused in us to be born again through the living hope of the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. Love and mercy poured out, not earned or deserved, but because they are innate characteristics of God. He puts it on us because it is who He is. Not because of who we are. There is one other aspect of his nature that I want us to see. That lead me to believe that God is not done with his covenant nation. And he's not done with all of his elect. God is just. Therefore, all people are consigned to disobedience. Look at verse 32. For God has consigned all to disobedience. That he may have mercy on all. Simply put, every person who has ever been born has been born into disobedience and has rejected God. All people, both Jew and Gentile. He's saying Jew and Gentile to say everyone ever are equal. We're all on equal footing. We are disobedient. We are rejectors of the goodness of God. Because of the human condition, we know this truth, but we don't always see it in ourselves. Often we hold people of different backgrounds or socioeconomic status in different regards. Maybe we look at the wealthy businessman or the stable businessman as better, as in a better state than the poor man. Maybe we look at the pastor in better light than the faithful layman. There are many distinguishments that make uh, that our minds make, but we must see what Paul is saying. All, both Jew and Gentile. So everyone ever has been consigned to disobedience. Consigned here means that they have been hemmed in, or locked to, or locked in a state of. All have sinned and have a sinful nature. Now this thought should make Christian leaders... Inequality. We should make Christians leaders in equality. Not as the world defines it, but as Christ defines it. Equality is not making sure everyone ends up at the same place, but it is making sure that we understand that we all start at the same place. Equality comes when we see that all have sinned and have fallen short of the glory of God and are in need of His grace and mercy if we are to be saved. We then see the Gospel as the only answer for man's sinful state and no other thing. For the poor and the rich, for the Buddhist and the Protestant, for all of mankind, the Gospel is the answer unto salvation for our helpless state. Christians should be leaders in equality. We should not look at another man or another woman or another person in any different state than we. We should remember often our position in God before He redeemed us. And we should long to rescue As many people, and as often as we can, as often as the Lord wills, we should long to rescue those people who are where we once were. Knowing that we all are on equal footing, knowing that we all start at the same place, place should humble us tremendously. There is no race, no social status, Or background that is in better or worse position than another. Or than we are or were. It should humble us tremendously. Because we all start on the same footing. We can appeal to mercy. We can receive mercy ourselves. But also, just as important, we can give mercy to others. We can forgive others. We can be kind to others. As a matter of fact, it would be unlike the character of God in us if we receive mercy, if we receive forgiveness, if we receive kindness, and we receive love, but we were unwilling to reciprocate that to the rest of the world. The reason Christians are leaders in equality, the reason Christians are leaders in grace and mercy and love and kindness is because we have received that. We know what it feels like and we know how it's distributed to the great gospel of Jesus Christ. And once we understand that we are humbled because of this, once we understand that we can receive mercy and give mercy, We should broaden the reach of mercy. We should proclaim the Gospel far and wide. Our reach of the Gospel should start in our home. It should go to our city. It should expand to our state. It should go throughout our nation. And then it should go to the ends of the earth. It only, this mentality only comes from a humbled mind who realizes that salvation is the Lord's, is always from the Lord's, is a great gift, and because it is a great gift that is upon us, it is worthy of sharing to others. We should be humbled tremendously, knowing that because we have appealed to mercy, we can, because we have received mercy, we can appeal to mercy to others to the ends of the earth. Friends, God is still in the business of saving his people. The people out of his covenant nation. All of those whom he is going to save, he will save because he is true to himself, because he is true to his character, he is immutable and true to his covenant. He is love and he pours out his mercy. And He has placed us all on the same level so that no man can boast. Salvation is the Lord's. Salvation is not because you grew up in a Christian home or because you're a part of a good church. Salvation is the Lord's. Salvation is not because you had an emotional feeling or because you walked an aisle or because you you broke your CDs at youth camp. Salvation is the Lord's. Salvation is not because your wife is a Christian or your husband is a Christian or your children are spiritual. Salvation is the Lord's. It is a covenant between God and man, it is a gift of God. And the gifts and covenants of God are irrevocable. Will you pray with me today? Lord, you are so good. You are so holy. Thank you for having a plan for us and sticking to it because you're just true to yourself. Help us, Father, to trust in your sovereignty, your wisdom, your will, your plan, to receive the abundance of your love and your mercy, and then as a good gift to others to pour it out On this world. Lord when we pour out your grace. And your mercy. As we have received it. Not everyone will be saved. But people will be saved. Lord help us. Help it to be our business. To meet new people. To bring the gospel of Jesus Christ to them. For your sake. For your glory. And for your praise. Help us to trust in your sovereignty. Help us to trust in your immutable character. In everything that we do. Help it to strengthen our confidence in our faith. Allow it to strengthen our confidence in our obedience. To drive us to be more like you. We praise you. We love you. We ask that you bless this day and this week as we remember the great sacrifice of your son. It's in his name we pray. Amen.